this morning I want to uh, speak to you uh, from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Now, our theme this year has been focusing on what it means to be a strong church, a strong, effective church uh, that we can grow into. And I'm going to be reading Ephesians 4 where he talks about uh, one of the ways to get, you know, how, how God designs to bring us into a strong church. I'm going to be reading from the amplified version of the Bible. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, you see, the uh, whenever you translate from one language to another, it often... I'm like eating a bug or something. What the deal is... <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> but uh, it takes lots of words to explain really what is being said in the original language. Uh, if you've ever had anything translated or heard that, that's one of the big challenges. You know, I often do my thing with... Uh, uh, Spanish translation and it takes a lot of words to try and, and trying to find the right words to explain catch the essence of something that's said in English uh, and this is true this is why you have lots of different versions of the Bible translations because what they'll do is you can read the same portion of scripture in several different translations and they use different words and different phrases and you think well why can't they all agree because it really takes more than just one word or phrase to capture exactly what they were saying so they argue over and they try to find the best one and they settle one and they all kind of disagree a little bit it's essentially the same thing but what the amplified version does if you ever really want to really take a look close look at the bible and what it says get an amplified bible because it's really fascinating what they do is they take all the english words that are necessary to explain the essence of what is being said. As, as a result, it's very wordy, you know. It's like, you know, they'll take what would normally in, in one verse would, translation would be 10 words. They'll have 15 or 20, you know, 25 to basically explain it. So I want to read from the amplified version of the Bible this morning because I want us to get the sense of what he's talking about here. So Paul is writing here about Jesus. Jesus has uh, he lived, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose from the dead and gave birth to the church. This new, the whole Christian thing, you know, is, was very new. This is all happening and he's trying to explain what's going on. He says, so in verse 11 he says, and his gifts, talking about Jesus' gifts to the church, uh, were varied. He himself appointed and gave uh, men to us, some to be apostles, which means special messengers, uh, some prophets, which means inspired preachers and expounders. You see, a prophet isn't necessarily someone who tells the future. It might sometimes uh, entail some of that. But it's talking about you're speaking under the anointing of God and the spirit of God and your mouthpiece for God. That's what a prophet is. Some were evangelists. These were guys who were the preachers of the gospels and traveling missionaries. And some pastors, which means shepherds of the flock of God. And some teachers. And all of these elements came together to impact the church. These were gifts from God. And we grow from these gifts. Now, in most churches today, um, and, and like ours, you generally have the senior pastor who does the bulk of the preaching. I do the vast bulk of the teaching and preaching here, but even still it's good for us to bring in other guys from time to time who have different gifts and anointings and, and viewpoints. We let our campus pastor share from time to time. We've been t- particularly blessed uh, here because my brother Ed comes a lot and, and he teaches and uh, he's much more of a teacher. I'm more of a fire 
flamethrower, you know, hand grenade kind of guy. And Eddie's much more thoughtful and, and very reflective and teaches. And, and, it, and it works out great. He's a, he's a writer. Um, he's written a lot of books. Uh, he was on the New York Times bestseller list. Hard to get there in life. He was there for many months. I mean, he's, he's really good. Yeah. He's really good at what he does. So that's been a great balance, you know, between me yelling and screaming at people and him teaching. Uh, this has been a, a good balance. We're, we're a lot in a lot of ways. There are some differences. You know, I'm pretty. He's ugly. Uh, but uh, but uh, together it's been great. And, and uh, we've talked for, for so many years of working more closely together. And uh, the closest I could ever get was, you know, him coming up here. But what's been great about him coming up here over the last a couple, few years is he has had a chance to experience you. And I've said this to you many, many times. And I'm not just blowing smoke at you. You guys are some of the most wonderful people in the world. Preaching and teaching to people in Wisconsin, despite our ungodly weather, uh, you know, uh, we've gotten a lot of rain lately, by the way. I've, I've instructed Pastor Latham to start building an ark. Um, but uh, dis- despite our insane weather, uh, you guys are some of the most wonderful people in the world. And uh, to s- teach and preach to you, you have no idea. For a guy like myself, it is so much fun because it's just free. See, Eddie comes from the Bible Belt down in Tulsa. And if you've ever been there, I mean, it's cool, but it's got a lot of caca. You know, and, and, you know, all these traditions and you can't say this and you can't say that. One of the reasons I preach in Wisconsin is I don't think they put up with me there. You know, I'd be very unemployed very quickly, you know, because I don't play the games. I don't care about our stupid traditions and nonsense. I just let's teach the Bible, tell it like it is. And you guys are empowering and he senses that when he comes up here. And, uh, and he has fallen in love with you, as have I. And uh, we've been talking for some time now. And Pastor Lathan and I went, went down and met with him and some of his people a couple of weeks ago. And Ed has made the decision. He now wants to become a full-time part of Celebration Church. So pretty cool. So we are going to become co-pastors. Pretty and ugly. We'll be preaching together here. <laughs> and uh, and I think it's going to be fabulous. And his church in Tulsa is becoming our next campus, which is very very cool. So we're adding another 700 to 1,000 people like that. It's going to be great, and it's just going to be more people that can help us move forward and do what we do. And it's going to be awesome. And Ed has so many wonderful perspectives and again he's much more of a thinker out and it'll be great because he's going to help us his passion is he's so fallen in love with what this is that he wants to become a part of it and he says man we got to put one here we got to put one here and he's thinking all over he's got he's got a plan already going so uh so it's going to be very very cool and and uh, not only the strength that he brings but some of the people from his church down there some fabulous people uh and and you're going to see how wonderful this is going to be now what we're going to do over the next few months is we're going to kind of rotate back and forth it'll preach here and i'll preach down there and and i'll and vice versa and stuff see it's an easier sell for you uh i announce this you all cheer i don't know they're going to do that down there <laughs> uh, mainly because they haven't heard me much i mean in a in a hundred years i've preached there twice you know whereas he so they're not as exposed to me as you uh, and again, 
I'm not exactly Tulsa material, but uh, it'll be interesting. So we're going to start rotating so I can get down there and, and, then, and then at some point we'll all synchronize and, and off that we'll go. So you'll, you're going to start hearing a lot more from him as, you know, we'll probably get into a role. In fact, every other week will probably be the difference so I can go down there and that kind of thing. So we're very excited about it. But all of this is to bring greater strength uh, to the organization and stuff so we can have a bigger impact for the kingdom of God and touch as many people's lives as we possibly can. And we're excited about it. Now, Paul here is talking about these different guys who have these different gifts. And in verse 12, he says, his intention, talking about Jesus, was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people. Now, I know a lot of you come from uh, you know traditional church backgrounds where saints were considered some special holy group of people, which is a bunch of nonsense. I mean, we're not to slam other churches, but it's just not biblical. They didn't even come up with this idea until hundreds of years later in Christianity. Then they decided, well, we need to have a special designation for really holy people, and then they had you know they'd vote on you know if someone's a holy person, they go through some big ritual to establish that someone now is a saint. You know, and I get what they're trying to do, but it is not in the Bible. There were no special classes of holy people in the Bible. Christianity, true Christianity, is we're all the same in Christ. Hallelujah. There's not someone more uh, more loved by God than the other. And in the New Testament, the word saint was synonymous for believer. They would sometimes say the believers here or the saints here or the Christians here. These were all synonymous terms. The term was taken uh, hijacked and created this thing that they pull out of the air. It's not really what it is. When he talks about saints, he's talking about believers. So he says his intention of giving these different gifts to the body of Christ was so that he could equip the saints. Why? That they should do. Who? The saints, the believers. They should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, the church. Now I want you to think how different that is from what most churches think of today. And the church has been off on this track for hundreds of years now. Because at some point it quit being more about these people in the church who were doing the work of the ministry. And it became about focusing on the priest or the pastor. And the pastor, he's the one who ministers to everybody. He's the one who wipes all the tears. He's the one who blows all the noses. He's the one everybody has to touch and everything. And, and this, is, this model actually is not what the Bible ever really intended. Because he says here, the point of pastors and preachers and teachers is to equip you to minister to each other. That's true Christianity. That's why so many churches today aren't very big. 400,000 churches in America today. 80% of them have 100 people in them or less. It's about as much as one guy can do to touch so many people. It'll grow maybe to 200, 250, and then they have a big split, you know, over the color of the carpet or some stupid thing. And, and then it breaks up again and it, because only the pastor can only placate so many people. We don't do that here. In fact, I know some of it messes with your head. Some of you new ones that come in and why some people coming into the church here, they don't quite get it, you know, because, you know, what if you have a problem? Can, can you talk to Pastor Mark? Can you call Pastor Mark? Will Pastor Mark come over and talk to you? No. 
Pastor Mark won't, okay? But it's not about Pastor Mark. This isn't about me being super preacher to all of you. This is not about me being super minister to all of you. This is about me and Eddie and others who teach you to equip you and empower you so you can minister to one another. The reality is, as you grow in your faith, mature believers should start doing the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry was always believers ministering to one another and that's the environment that we want to create it's the mature believers in the church that are supposed to be doing the ministry not just one or two special guys while everybody else sits back and just waits uh, their turn that's not true christianity true Christ- that's why we're trying to encourage in a, an atmosphere of mentoring in the church and listen we're not there Okay, but we're getting there. We're going to get there on purpose. That's how you get to anywhere in life. On purpose. We're going to grow on this and we're going to get stronger at it, at it so that we can be a bigger, stronger community of faith where people are really there to help one another. Things that don't happen in life, they happen on purpose. People often ask me, how have you been married for 37 years? On purpose. Okay, how'd you learn how to play the piano? On purpose. You do these, I remember people come up to me and say, well, you, will you pray for me that I can play the piano too? No! You idiot! If you want to, you got to practice! You got to take lessons! I don't want to do that! Well, that's why you can't play! Okay? It's not magical, the things that will happen magically. I think everybody, we've, we've got this culture today where people think everything just happens automatically. People have uh, a successful business, you know, because they were just lucky. I'm not just lucky they work their butts off. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm tired of this, you know, class warfare in America. All the more fortunate among they're not fortunate. They were just lucky people. They worked hard to get where they got. For crying out loud, everybody thinks everything's just lucky in life. No, you get there on purpose. You want to do really good in school? You do it on purpose. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, looking at me like a bunch of Presbyterians out there. All right. so. <laughs> <laughs> God bless all the Presbyterians. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So we're, we're, this is the direction that we're going to continue to grow in this this idea of mentoring one another, helping one another, encouraging one another. You know, we need to build it, and 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 we need to focus more on 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 this. And we will as we go into small groups and stuff like that, and the things that we do, the life groups and stuff that we do. All this is designed so you can start growing and helping one another. One of the things I've been talking about and I'm going to continue to push forward more is when it comes to like marriage counseling. That's a big thing. Pastors overwhelmed with marriage counseling because we drive each other crazy. That's what you do. You get married and you drive each other crazy. And people handle it well and others don't. That's really the only difference between a couple who succeeds and one who don't. They're both going crazy over the same stuff. It's just the one's figured out how to handle the craziness and the other one hasn't. And instead of coming to the pastor... For all this, you should be working off of each other. You should be mentoring one another, encouraging one another. The stronger should be encouraging the weak. We should have uh, an atmosphere of of uh, of uh, mentoring. Because I'll tell you, when you really start sharing your troubles with other people, it changes the dynamic. See, when it's just the two of you arguing, your stupid argument sounds sane in your brain. It does. You know how you know it's dumb? is when you share it with somebody else. And then all of a sudden, you know, I guess it doesn't sound so important now, does it? You know. You know, are we arguing over the dumbest stuff in life? And it, it is what it is. I say all the time, look, 
What your spouse does may very well irritate you until the day you die. The good news is, you die. <laughs> you know, just relax a little bit for crying out loud. So anyway, we're going to see more and more of this effort, this intentionality of trying to get you to minister to one another, encourage one another. So he goes on, why would you do this? He says, so then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. Let me, let me give you the, 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 uh, the context here. You have to understand, the one thing Satan fears more than anything is when people of faith get together and they get on the same page and they get one heart, one mind, one intention to, to change the world. He fears like that. Like you have no idea. All right. So from the very beginning, he's done everything he can to break that up. Now, he used to have to work really, really hard. He doesn't have to work so hard anymore. I'll explain that in a minute. But he used to have to really work hard because these people really loved each other. He couldn't just get them fighting over the color of the carpet or the psychedelic carpet as the case may be. But they, they fight, you know, they really loved each other. These were people, if you read the New Testament church, they, the Bible says they never considered anything they owned as their own. They never said it's my house or my property. It was everybody's. They shared together. The Bible talks about how if, 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 if people over here were hurting financially, but guys over here would sell extra property they would have and bring the money and give it to these guys to help each other out. Can you imagine doing that today? Can you imagine doing it? I mean, this. Now we're going to work toward the, the, the... But that's... I mean, most people can't imagine doing that for their kids. Much less their in-laws. Much less people you don't know in a church. But that's how much they loved it. They loved each other so intensely, it blew the world's mind. And that's why they had so many miracles. Because in that atmosphere of love, God shows up and just started doing all kinds of crazy things. You know, people say, how come we don't have miracles today like they did in the Bible? Because we're nothing like the Bible. We're nothing like these people. It's not until you really start committing with each other and start understanding this and seeing God move. That's when you're going to start really seeing miracles and stuff. And by the way, this, this is the one thing. You know, Jesus said, this is how everyone will know you're really my disciples. He told them, this is how you'll know. By how much of the Bible you know. Is that what he said? No. no. He said, this, this is how you'll know they're really Christians. Because when the band plays, they go like this. Is that what he said? No, no. He says... By this shall all men, everybody in the world will know you're really my disciples when you love each other. See, that's what Satan fears more than anything. So back in the day, what Satan had to do, because it took so much to break these people up because they were so committed to each other, he had to bring in these different false doctrines and stuff like that. And so Paul was trying to say, we need to get strong so we can withstand this. So people come up with crazy ideas that doesn't get Christians fighting with each other. Well, today, I don't think Satan even feels challenged. He didn't have to come up with some intricate plan to break up churches. He just got people fighting over the stupidest things on earth. People leave churches for all kinds of reasons. Let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to leave? Think about that. Because the truth is, it doesn't take a lot. For some people, one sermon. One sermon you don't like, you're out of here. Which means your time here is limited. <laughs> Sorry to say, you know. Seriously, one sermon. Man, I had one person leave the church. Really involved guy in the church. Lift. Because he heard me preach one sermon where I mentioned a side doctrine that he didn't really agree with. 
Are you kidding me? That's all it takes to uproot your kids and your family and your friends and get out of here and go find someplace else because of one idea from some side. And listen, nobody goes out of their way more than me to say you don't all have to think like me. And we have major doctrines that we hang on to. The Apostles' Creed, these are, these are our main things. But there's all kinds of side doctrines. I'll tell you what I think. There's all kinds of people here that we can argue all day long. Not everybody here agrees about all that stuff. What a shock. But this is what Christianity should be. I mean, how is God glorified when you get a bunch of people together who all think the same? What's the credit in that? But I love looking out here. I see all kinds of I see all kinds of faces and colors and creeds and some of you got tattoos and some of you don't have tattoos and some of you have hair. And you know, some of you have money, some of you don't even know what money looks like, you know. I mean, this is a, but we're all together and we're all on the same page. That's when God gets glorified. Who cares if we're I'm sick of the rich church and the poor church and the black church and the Hispanic church and the hippie church and the biker church. I mean, I get these people doing that. God bless them, but that's the man, I want a church where we get all of that together. One sermon, one sermon, that's all it's going to take. That's why so many pastors are scared to death to say anything. I said, why don't pastors preach more intensely? I'll tell you why. They're scared. They're scared. They'll lose their jobs if they say one thing that might offend somebody. It's craziness. Any staff changes in church, that's a big one. You know, a certain pastor or an assistant pastor or something that they're... Oh my God, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Seriously? That's all it takes? Just when we adjusted some of the things in our services, we lost some people because, you know, I wanted to start bringing in some elements of traditional Christianity I think are good. You know, like saying the Lord's Prayer together, the Apostles' Creed together. I had some people got mad and said, oh, yeah, I'm leaving. You're, you're trying to turn us into a Catholic church. Seriously? Have you been to a Catholic church? I'm not trying to slam anybody, okay? But if you confuse this with a Catholic mass, you're on drugs, man. That's all it took. You're saying the Lord's Prayer. Why are you doing that? I don't know because it's the Lord's prayer. I would think the Lord would be in favor of this. The crazy thought I had, I don't know. They leave the church. That's all it takes. Good night or offense. I got offended. I'm offended. Offended. Good grief. Listen to me. If you're going to be a part of Celebration Church, you're going to get offended. I'm pretty sure of this. Usually by me. At some point, I'm going to say something or you're going to go, oh man, what's he talking about? Okay, just chill out. People getting mad. Somebody's leaving a church. 
one of the campuses, you know, somebody leaving the church because someone said something to my kid I didn't like. Really? First of all, your kid probably deserved it. <laughs> That'd be my guess, okay? But just relax, that's all it takes? You're going to leave the church because somebody said something you didn't like? Seriously, people, I'm telling people just need swirlies today. Just shh. So you stick your head in the toilet and you're flushing it swirls, if you don't know what that means. Yeah, we're going to have a swirly ministry over here. That's all it takes. We live in a culture today where we think we have a constitutional right never to get offended. This is insane. Have you seen the news this last week? Where some lady was saying something on a videotape. And it sounded like she was saying some race thing. And they fired her butt. And then a couple of days later they found out, oh, that wasn't what she was saying. Oops, sorry. Making morons out of themselves in front of the whole world. Why? Why would some of the... Don't clap for that, morons. For <laughs> Embarrassing them. So we're making fools of ourselves to the whole world. Why? Why would they react like Because no one can offend anybody. We live in a country. No one can ever be offended. Seriously? That's where we get all this political correctness, nonsense, and stupidity. So we got these preachers in churches. They don't ever say anything. Because they can't offend it. They can't risk it. And I sat in churches for years. I'd sit on the front row listen to the preacher. And honestly, he'd get done and I'd, I had no idea what he said. What did he say? I don't know. An offense? You're going to freak out because of an offense? Someone says something you don't like? And first of all, what are you getting offended about anyway? The Bible says, perfect peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. You get offended, your faith isn't very strong. Suck it up. Well, somebody heard me. I know that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> forgive us our sins as we forgive the big fat stinking jerks who sin against us. <laughs> that's the point. That's why we pray this prayer at Celebration Church. Because someone's going to offend you. Get over it. It'll be okay. If you need to talk it out, talk it out. But you're going to leave because of that. Come on, people. If we're going to be a real church, the kind of church we're talking about here, we should have to work to get rid of you. Seriously. Now, we're not some kind of a cult, you know. We're not one of these churches that think if you don't go to our church, you'll go to hell. You know, if you, if you think the church loses its way, just leave. I mean, it's okay. Some of you came from churches. You felt they lost their way. That's why you came here. That's cool. You know, but you leave because someone says something or they did this or they shouldn't have done that or they said a sermon I didn't like. Oh, my goodness. Because I think the devil just sits and laughs his butt off. It's amazing he has a butt at all. That's honest. I think he's totally buttless now. Because he just looks at us, he laughs his butt off. He doesn't have to come up with some big intricate doctrinal thing to get us to fight each other. He just got to get somebody saying something about one of somebody's obnoxious kid. That's all it takes. Pastor say something offensive like caca. Get somebody mad. Somebody's just one thing or the other. Something's got to happen. And as long as churches stay like that, man, I'm t- we're not going to see the power of God. 
I'm telling you, you know, I was talking to one of the brothers just a little bit ago about this. You know that America's really overdue on a revival. Are you hearing me? I mean, we're past due. I mean, in the 70s, we had the big Jesus movement and, you know, in the 80s, the big spiritual renewals and stuff like that. It's been at least 20 years in this country. We are way, but what's going on? I see there's a pastor, there's Christian leaders, we're all sitting there going, what's up, man? This place should, you shouldn't be able, we ought to have five services here every Sunday morning to get everybody in here who needs to be in here. Now we thought 9-11 was going to be, you know, that would be the thing that wake up call because every church in America was packed. You guys remember that? 9-11, go to church, man, it was a jam packed. Lasted for about three weeks. Everybody just forgets God. I don't know what it's going to take, but boy, we need, but I'm telling you, we pray God sent a revival, but to, to what? As long as we're not going to really be the kind of people God's called us to be. What can God send a revival to? We need to start putting aside the petty nonsense. I'm offended nonsense. I want what I want the way I want it every time I want it nonsense. And start realizing, you know, we need to serve. We need to give. We need to sacrifice. Sermons, adjustments, money. Boy, church, fight about money. <laughs> By the way, don't forget God this summer. You guys, man, some of our offerings starting to tank out again. <laughs> I don't know what I can say, but seriously. You want to enjoy vacation? Go on vacation, have a great time, take me with you. But good grief, don't forget to give to your church. I've said this a hundred times, I'll keep saying it. Your offering is not a cover charge to listen to the band. You know what I'm talking about? You go to a place, you play a cover charge, you hear the band. If you don't go in, you don't you don't pay the cover charge. People are like church like that. They go to church to give, they don't go, I didn't give, I didn't go to church. Don't be like that. Come on, this isn't a club, nightclub, this is a church. Be faithful, be consistent. Let's be the kind of church that God can use. Let us become the kind of family that we can really be there for each other. We're not there. I don't know of any church that is quite frank. We're not there, but we want to get there. And we're going to get there on purpose. We're going to focus. We're going to keep talking about this. We're going to instruct and try and do as much as we can to build a culture where we are there for one another. You don't always have to be happy with everything that goes on. I mean, I was in churches for years I wasn't happy with. But I stayed. Why? Because I love those people. I didn't agree with everybody. There's one church I, I never felt like I was, I never, never felt like I fit in. Can't imagine me not fitting in somewhere. <laughs> Pastor said to me, what's wrong? I said, oh, I don't fit in. He said, what do you mean? I said, man, I feel like a black guy at the regional convention in the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> he says, really, it's that bad? It's that bad. How long did I stay there? 15 years. You know, were you happy? No, I wasn't happy. Why'd you stay? It's called Commitment. I love. They were my friends. Thought they were nuts, but they were my friends. They were crazy, my crazy friends. I was part of the crazy friends. We need to think in these kinds of terms, and we need to foster this kind of thing. Let's be a strong family of faith. Let's celebrate as God starts bringing all this stuff together. I'm very excited about the future. What God's going to do as Ed comes on, and God keeps doing different things here. But let's be intentional, man. Let's grow. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time to serve our communion.
Musicians can come back up. Communion. We always have communion on Sunday. Why is that? It's because this is the ultimate turning point of eternity. This is what this is all about. Jesus Christ dying on that cross for us. His body broken so we could be whole. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. This is what it's all about. Where are you at with this this morning? As you're listening, you're thinking, wow, that sounds great. What you're talking about, being there for one another and stuff. But all of this is birthed out of knowing God. Do you know God? That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. So you could know him and really experience God. See, Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, you've got to study, 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 pray, pray, do everything they've got to do in hopes that someday you can touch God. But true Christianity is completely the opposite. True Christianity, you start out by touching God. You may not know anything. And now, after touching God, now you grow when you learn out of love and excitement to know more about this wonderful God you've touched. Have you touched God this morning? Have you been touched by God in your life? I'm going to invite all of you to bow your heads in a word of prayer. And we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to invite you to pray this along with me. And if you'll really mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can start to experience God. Take your first steps of faith today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.